weren't here last week, we had, even though it was rainy Texas weather, which is just a miracle in and of itself, we had a spectacular day as a community that came behind the Pickin family and the Clark family in uh, really jumping in as they are battling cancer in both of those families. And I want to read to you a couple letters, one from Nancy and then one also from the Clark family of their appreciation. Um, so this one's from Nancy and Dick. Words can be powerful, but that power became insufficient for us to communicate our appreciation for the enormity of last Sunday's one in chapel blessing for the Pickens and the Clarks. But we should have been braced for such fellowship and love since this church always demonstrates a prayer urgency plus the ability to turn agape into action, thus changing a time of testing into testimony. One chapel really fulfills Paul's urging to the Romans in Romans 12, verse 13, which says, when God's children are in need, you be the one to help them out. The sermon by Russ really put the calling of God's people into a powerful perspective, and the sacrifice of Aaron and Steve Shugart cooking all night in the rain and providing most of the food was immeasurable. Others brought goodies also, and others volunteered to perform the various functions that made it so perfect. Let's continue to pray for Lily Clark's continued miracles, Nancy and Dick Pickens. And this one's from the Clarks. Dear church family, we are amazed and humbled at your generosity. You are a true representation of God's love. Completely unsolicited, you have picked us up and carried us. We feel we are living, Ephesians 4, verse 20, which says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, through your prayers, words of encouragement and giving, you have demonstrated the love of Christ for all to see. We want you to know that the amount given to us is the same amount we previously estimated Lily's medical expenses will be through the end of this year. That is no coincidence. So while we don't know what the future will bring, God is clearly telling us, I love you. You are in my hands. I am all that you need. God bless you. May it be given back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Much love, Jonathan, Amber, Lillian, and Savannah Clark. So if you haven't heard, last Sunday, more than $24,000 was raised for these two families and your guys' generosity. You guys need to give yourself an amazing hand for that. I was t- I've been telling everybody, and as I talked with Nancy and Dick and Jonathan and Amber about last week, I don't think I had an expectation of a specific number in my head, but I can tell you that was not even close to a number that I would have had an expectation for. I mean, I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with your generosity, and I know Jonathan's right here in the front, and um, Dick and Nancy are up in Tulsa. Um, uh, that's where they go back and forth to the cancer treatment there, and they are all just completely overwhelmed with your generosity. So thank you, everybody. What, a, what an incredible gesture of love that you have done. So good. All right, get your Bibles out, if you would, please. Uh, we started a new series last week that we're calling Real Relationships. We started with this passage in the book of Song of Songs. It's in your Old Testament right after the book of Psalms. So if you want to turn there, you can also follow along on the screen. Song of Songs, chapter 8. Starting in verse 6, which says, Love is invincible, facing danger and death. Passion laughs at the terrors of hell. The fire of love stops at nothing. It sweeps everything before it. Floodwaters can't drown love. Torrents of rain can't put it out. 
Love can't be bought. Love can't be sold. It's not to be found in the marketplace. We started talking about this last week. When you think about what Solomon is talking about here in terms of love and, and friendships and family and marriage and all sorts of relationships, these are all things I think every one of us tend to want to have in our life. And there's almost this expectation that we're going to do this well. But I think everybody understands it's these relationships that also can cause enormous amount of damage in our lives. And then on the flip side of it, not only do the relationships that we currently have create damage, if you are without real, healthy, loving relationships in your life, that also creates an enormous amount of hardship in your life. And the crazy thing about all of this is that as a culture, as a people, we are more connected than ever before. In all of human history, mankind has never been as connected as we are today, but we're also lonelier than we've ever been before. I mentioned this last week that, that Sigma Health Insurance did a survey on loneliness, and it discovered that 60% of Austinites battle with loneliness. 60%. We're the largest city in the nation um, with this, we have the highest percentage of all cities in the, in, in, in the United States right now. The, the national average is 54%. And the, the people group within Austin that has the highest number of this are, are actually the millennials. And it's attributed to so much time spent on social media and the lack of face-to-face -face interaction that we tend to have in our culture today. And so in case you're trying to figure out if maybe you are part of that 60% of lonely people that live in this Austin area, Sigma gave um, these nine subtle signs that you are lonely, even if it doesn't feel like it. Number one, you constantly feel tired. You constantly feel tired. A study concluded that loneliness is a significant pred predictor of sleep fragmentation, and that lonely individuals do not sleep as well as individuals who feel more connected to others. I just have to make a little asterisk on there. The only exception to that is when UT wins a football game like it did last night. <laughs> and then it's hard to sleep after, after that. Number two, you care a lot about material possessions. And the study discovered that loneliness causes people to frequently go out and buy material things. So if you suddenly find yourself fixating on material possessions and shopping more than normal, feeling a void, if you will, you could be going through a rough patch. Um, maybe some of the lights are going on inside of you or maybe a person sitting beside you. Here's number three. You find yourself taking really long, hot showers. Isn't this interesting? And researchers found a link between physical and social warmth. And so essentially, if a person feels socially cold, a.k.a. lonely, they're more likely to try to substitute emotional warmth with physical warmth by taking hot showers and baths. Isn't that interesting? Number four, you can't stop binge-watching shows. <clears throat> now the truth's out, right? The study found that the more lonely and depressed the study participants were, the more likely they were to binge-watch TV using this activity to move away from negative feelings. And then number five... You're consistently making mountains out of molehills. And the studies discover that lonely individuals report higher levels of perceived stress, even when exposed to the same stressors as non-lonely people, and even when they are relaxing. Number six, you're spending a lot of time on social media. And the study found that heavy use of social media was associated with feelings of social isolation. Those who spend more than two hours a day on social media were twice as likely to feel lonely than those who spent 30 minutes or less on social media platforms. Number seven, 
You hang out with other lonely people. <laughs> you hang out with other lonely people. The study found that loneliness spreads through a contagious process. So even if you yourself don't feel lonely, counterintuitively, your social network could be changing that. In other words, if you have friends who feel lonely, you're more likely to experience feelings of loneliness too. And then number eight, you gained weight. <laughs> Here's your excuse, right? You gained weight. The study discovered that loneliness is one of the biggest drives towards overeating. We naturally turn to food to nurture and nourish ourselves. It is the most obvious way to fill ourselves up. However, when we are lonely, when we are actually craving a, is a little personal interaction, intimacy, love, or friendship, someone to share our lives with. And then here was the ninth one. It feels like you constantly have a cold. And the study found out that the immune system of lonely people focuses on bacteria rather than viruses, meaning that lonely people are more susceptible to viral infections. Isn't that interesting? So I was reading this, and I was reading the study that was done specifically here in the Austin region. I, I was just kind of, yeah, it's, it's interesting with a city that has so much to do, and there's so much incredible things that we have available to us that we are the number one city that deals with loneliness in the country. And the this, this Sigma study discovered that it's just so easy for us to slip in to loneliness, that every one of us can actually slip into this, and it really is an epidemic um, that is affecting our culture today. Now, I think when we go to the core of what's going on in our own hearts, I think that most of us long to have healthy, strong relationships in our lives. The problem is, is that most of us don't really know how to do it. So many of us have been hurt by broken people and broken relationships. And the, the saying is true that hurt people hurt people. And then as a result, are then easily hurt then by others. And so what we're going to do here this morning is we're going to talk about friendship. We're going to talk about these relationships in our life. And I think there are many reasons why our relationships go south. But I think the thing that every one of us need to understand is that real healthy relationships are no accident. I think it's really important for us to understand in a culture that has immediate gratification, a culture that expects and assumes all is at our fingertips, I think it's really important for us to understand that real healthy relationships are no accident. So today, we're going to look at the words of Jesus and probably his most famous message, which is the Sermon on the Mount, and where he speaks more about relationships probably than any other topic. I kind of think this is Jesus' treatise on relationships, and it really kind of describes his way of kingdom relationships in regards to all kinds of relational situations. And he gives us here eight really important lessons and points for us how to be friends in the reality of our everyday lives. So if you, if you do have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5 is where this is found. Or again, you can follow on the screen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, which says, When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were uh, apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at the quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. This is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God 
He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. And so number one, real healthy relationships begin with God. When you're trying to create these real strong, healthy relationships around you, they begin with God. This is what we talked specifically about last week, because the most important relationship that you will ever have is your relationship with God. That's the relationship that you have to insert first into your life, because our relationship with God then determines all other relationships. Our relationship with God then determines how we schedule our calendars. Our relationship with God determines how we form and then how we interact with our friends. Look at verse 7. He continues on. He says, you're blessed when, you're, when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourself cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. And so number two, for real healthy relationships to be formed in your life, we need to work on ourselves. You actually work on yourself. And again, we talked about this one last week as well, because your friendship are, they're only as healthy as you are. I think too often we tend to focus on others when we start talking about relationships. But the reason why your neighbor doesn't like you, they have more to do with you than with him. Come on, turn to your neighbor and tell he's now he's talking about you. Come on. <laughs> it's true, right? And so that's why I think we have to see ourselves accurately and be able to understand what we need to work on. Jesus told his disciples that he's going to make us fishers of men. And so we need to be people who attract people to us, not actually repel people. And some of you might be thinking, well, Pastor, yeah, what do you mean? I mean, does that mean I have to be somebody else? No, that's not, that's not what I mean, but that is what Jesus says, right? Because Jesus said, I'm going to come in you, and I'm going to change you, and I'm going to mold you, I'm going to transform you, and I'm going to make you more in my likeness so you're not so self-centered. So your life is not so about you. Jesus said, I'm going to transform your life so it's not just about you, but it's actually about others because really the gospel depends on it, which leads us to verse 9, which says, you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. And so number three, for real healthy relationships to be formed in your life, be a positive influence. Be a positive influence. In other words, be a solution person, not a problem person. This is called the Bob principle. You've heard this before? The Bob principle. In other words, if Bob has problems with others, it's probably Bob that is the problem, right? And so I want you to try to be honest with yourself. Is that okay? You can be, try to be honest with yourself today and kind of see what's going on in your own life. Because are you a downer or are you an uplifting person? Are you flaky or are you steady? Are you negative and critical or are you encouraging and positive? I just think it's so easy for us to be negative Nancy and Debbie Downer and Sour Sally and Pessimistic Patty. I just think it's so easy for us to kind of fall into that mode of doing things. Well, listen, folks, that's not going to help anybody. That's just going to make you incredibly annoying. And so we have to pay attention to what's going on on the inside of us and how we're interacting with others. Ephesians 4 verse 29 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Now, how many of you are golfers? Can I see your hands? Any of you golfers out there? 
I, I, think, I tend to have a love-hate relationship with golfing. I mean, because you think about it, you're outside, which is fantastic, especially if you're golfing out here in the hill country. You know, you have this beautiful creation all around you, and you're getting your exercise walking on this, well, now it's all green. Everything's green, you know, around you. But it's disturbed and messed up by this little white ball that you're trying to hit and chase on the fairway. And so I just find golfing can be one of the most stressful things that you ever do. Because first of all, you're trying to hit this ball and make it go to where it want, you want it to go. But then you usually aren't golfing by yourself. You're usually golfing with others. And here's where it gets stressful. Because the people around you make it stressful. Because if you do hit a good ball, then all of a sudden, okay, game's on, right? They're thinking competition. This guy's good. And so now you have this competitive vibe and feel that's happening with the people in your group. Or if you shank it, they're all mocking you behind. Even if they don't say it, they're mocking you. And, and in their head, they're thinking, boy, this guy is really bad. I'm much better than he is. I'm so glad I'm going golfing with him. But then if you keep doing that, they're going to think, I can't believe I went with him. This is going to take us forever. And so it's just stressful because you have all this negativity that's just in, in your environment that you're trying to just have this nice walk down the fairway here, you know? For me, my favorite person who I've ever golfed with in my entire life was my grandma. I grew up golfing with my grandma, and she couldn't hit very far, but boy, could she hit it straight. But that really didn't matter. The reason why I loved golfing with my grandma was because the whole time she was encouraging me. And no matter how I did, I felt like I could do anything because she just believed in me and she would speak these, these incredible life-giving words to us. Listen, folks, I think every single one of us love to be around people who are positive influencers in our life. Isn't that true? Don't you love it when you're around people who are, are speaking life to you? And so I think we have to decide. I think we have to make a choice. I'm going to be one of those people. I'm going to be one of those persons that's just going to believe in others. I'm going to speak life into other people. I'm going to be constantly encouraging others verbally. And look at verse 10. It says, you're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens, give it cheer even, for though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds and know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. So number four, for real healthy relationships before me in life, respond to negative people with confidence and conviction. Respond to negative people with confidence and conviction. Because the reality is, sometimes your commitment to God will cause people to resist you or dislike you or even work against you. Here's the, here's the reality, everybody. Not everybody you meet is going to be able to connect with you. Not everybody you meet is even going to be able to like you. And you know what? That's okay. But you still need to engage people with confidence and conviction about who you are and what it is that you believe. First Peter 4, verse 12 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed with his glory when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on 
you. Now, here's the thing. I think so many of us, I think we, don't really, we really don't understand why and how our friendships fall apart. Because I think the reality is, is that we fight, but we don't forgive. We confront, but yet we're not doing it out of kindness. We judge, and we're not taking the time to actually pay attention to what's going on on the inside of that person. And so when we encounter people, that needs to drive you deeper into God's kingdom, into his love and his perspective. When you're encountering difficult people and difficult situations where people are involved, that needs to drive you deeper. Let God be your defender. Let God fight for you because he's much better at it. Let him bring peace out of your heart. And I'm I'm not talking about that you need to be a doormat. Please don't mishear what I'm talking about. I'm not asking. That's not what scripture says. You don't need to be a doormat. But here's the reality. You do need to carry a towel. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Did you hear me? You don't need to be a doormat, but you do need to carry a towel just like Jesus did. And then Jesus continues on in verse 13. He says, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and then will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light. Bring out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you here on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. Be opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. So number five, for real healthy relationships before your life, help people succeed. Be intentional about it and actually help others around you succeed. When I was um, in, in college, one of the books I had to read in my executive management course talked about this idea that on your way to becoming a millionaire... You're going to help a bunch of other people become millionaires before you ever do. This has stuck in my head all of these years, not so much the money application, but this issue of helping others succeed. Because it's just so counterintuitive, really, to our culture, because our culture is so much about me. i got to pay attention to me. I have to succeed. But Jesus' principle really just turns it upside down, And instead of just concentrating on yourself, how about this week, and I make this a challenge for you, instead of concentrating on yourself, why don't you help others succeed? Look for ways to prop them up, to help them succeed. And I just think this is a huge principle in life because your generosity reflects God's generosity. And when that happens, it will cause them to see God better. It opens the door for God to work in their life. And here's the incredible thing. Once you've helped someone succeed... They're going to be your friend for life. When you help others succeed, you're going to form these great friendships. John Maxwell says there's four kinds of people. Number one, some people add something to life, and people like that we enjoy. Number two, some people subtract something from life, and people like that we tolerate. Number three, some people multiply something in life, and people like that we value. And then number four, Some people divide something in life, and people like that we avoid. So let me encourage everybody, 
Don't be a person who subtracts or divides. And don't even be a person who just asks. Be a person who multiplies all of God's goodness in other people's lives. Help people succeed. And then skip down to verse 21. It says this. Jesus continues on. He says, you're familiar with the command to the ancients. Do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother an idiot, and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you're on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. So here's number six for real healthy relationships before in your life. Number six, say the right words at the right time. Say the right words at the right time. Listen, so we have to recognize the power of the words that come out of our mouth. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. That's why the words we speak to others are so absolutely critical in the formation and the maintenance of real healthy relationships in your life. Because the words you speak to others are either going to draw people close to you or they're going to cause people to avoid you. The words you speak are either going to create life or they're going to create death. And so let people know you need them. Let people know verbally that you love them. Compliment a person in front of others. Encourage their dreams. Believe in them. Let your words bring life and not death. And then verse 23, Jesus continues and he says, This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and are about to make an offering, you suddenly remember grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave it immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. So number seven for real healthy relationships before in your life, number seven, treat relationships like spiritual treasures. Treat relationships like spiritual treasures. And what this is about is because when you look at Scripture, there's a hierarchy of biblical principles, which means that there are some things in life that are more important than other things. And what Jesus is describing here is that our relationships are actually more important than our worship and our rituals. Think about it this way. We talked about this last week. There's one greatest commandment in the entire Bible. What is that? Love God with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength, right? That's the greatest commandment in Scripture. What's the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second greatest commandment. Now, I want you to try to evaluate how are you doing. If these are the number one and number two purposes that God says, I'm going to hold you accountable for. In other words, these are your two greatest purposes in life. How are you doing with it? How are you doing fulfilling your purpose in loving God? How are you doing in fulfilling your purpose in loving your neighbors? If you were to give yourself a score and rate yourself on a scale of one to ten, one being horrible and ten being perfect, how would you score yourself in this whole purpose of loving God. You know what your number would be? You know, you know what your score would be if you were to give yourself a number and how you're doing and fulfilling your purpose in loving God? And then rate yourself on how you're loving your neighbor. How well are you doing? I scored a 1 to 10. How would you rate yourself in fulfilling your purpose of loving your neighbor? You got your number there? You know, you know what, how you're rating yourself? 
Look at what the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. He says, If anyone boasts, I love God, and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. If I won't love the person he if you won't love the person he can see, how can you love the God he can't see? The command we have from God is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. And so I want you to notice what the Apostle John's describing here. Because he's describing that loving God, and however you scored yourself, loving God is a subjective test. Whatever number you gave yourself, and that you're evaluating that purpose, that first commandment, that you're to love God, whatever number you gave yourself is simply a subjective test. But loving your neighbor is an objective test. And it's an objective test for how you're doing in loving God. So the score you gave yourself in loving your neighbor is actually the score for how you're doing in loving God. And I think so often we can get it confused you know, we can inflate our number with how I'm doing in loving God and fulfilling that purpose, that it's simply subjective. But how you're doing loving your neighbor is a reflection of your love for God. It's that objective test for loving God. And that's why our, our, our worship is only as good as our relationships. Our worship of God is only as good as our relationships. Because here's the thing. There is only one thing that you can take to heaven with you. There's only one thing. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 20, but store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There is only one thing that you can take to heaven with you, and that is people. That's it. That's the only thing. Everything else is just going to burn up. There's nothing else that you can take to heaven with you. And here's the thing. The reality for every single one of us is there are people in your community, in your neighborhood, in your classroom, in your workplace, and there are people all around us who are stepping into heaven and stepping into hell. And how well you love people today will determine the percentage of people who will step into heaven and the percentage of people who will step into hell tomorrow because people last forever. People last forever. And so that's why we have to constantly be evaluating, how am I doing? How am I doing in loving others and bringing people with me to heaven? Now, the next part, when you're looking at Matthew chapter 5, the next section of this Matthew chapter 5 really deals with our heart's struggles in regards to relational violations. And we're going to talk about that here in the weeks to come. But, but Jesus finally comes to this point in verse 43. He says, you're familiar with the old written law, love your friend. And it's unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best and you not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with energies of prayer. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives us the best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone regardless. The good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Everybody, anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, you expect a medal? <laughs> Any run-of-the-mill sinner can do that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. You're kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out 
your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives towards you. And so number eight, for real healthy relationships to be forming in your life, love your enemies and grow. <laughs> love your enemies or love difficult people and grow. Because here's the thing. We have a choice, everybody. You have a choice when it comes to the difficult people who you encounter. Whether it's in your school classroom, whether it's the kids you're taking care of, whether it's in your own home, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's people driving on a Highway 71, you have a choice. The difficult people in your life, you have a choice of how you're going to react to them because you can respond to difficult people with love and as a result grow into maturity and influence or you can respond to difficult people out of bitterness and as a result fall into isolation and selfishness. That's why our interaction with, with difficult people is the greatest test of your maturity and the greatest measure of your growth. You want to know how you're doing? You want to know if you're growing in your spiritual life? Your interaction with people really is the litmus test that, that shows you very quickly how you are doing. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control and so relationships are both God's method and his measurement for our maturity because the only way to love your enemies the only way for you to love difficult people in your life is by the power of the Holy Spirit and his presence within you that stirs these the essence the the, the fruit of God in our life and so that's why as we surrender to God, as we surrender to his presence, as we surrender to his working, the more we surrender to him, the more we become like him. The more you surrender, the more the essence, the fruit of who God is begins to stir inside you, become more gracious and less offended. You become more generous and less demanding. You become more giving and less controlling. Listen, folks, this is the Jesus way of relationships. And this is why I think why this gatherings like this on Sunday is not just a traditional thing. It's not just for community. It's not to listen to somebody up here speak or to, to hear music, although the, those whole things may be fantastic and, and great in their own, own sense. But the number one thing of why it's so important for us to gather is to let the presence of God saturate you again. And the reason why we do this at the beginning of the week is because we leak the presence of God horribly during the week. And we need to be filled back up. Every one of us, we need to be filled back up. You're going to be going into school classrooms this week. You're going to be going into your workplaces. You've got to travel Highway 71. You need more of God. Because listen, if left to yourself, you're selfish. Left to yourself, you're controlling. Left to yourself, you're demanding. Left to yourself, you're, you're just annoying. Come on. But when you let more of God work in you, then the essence of who he is, love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and even self-control rises up inside of you because that's who God is. And so we're going to take some time here as we finish. We're going to take communion here together and the worship team's going to lead us again. And, and I want you to just close your eyes here because... This is, before we leave here this morning, in these next few minutes here, as we kind of finish this, I want to just to make sure that you have a, this, this last moment, just kind of soak in just the presence of God. 
to let him come into whatever it is that you are facing. Maybe this past week, well, your relationships have been a mess. Maybe you've been in all sorts of conflict and all sorts of um, different issues that you've been facing. Maybe uh, as you're, you're, you're struggling with the kids in your classroom, or maybe you're struggling with your own classmates, or maybe you're struggling with um, some of your coworkers or your boss, or maybe even some of your employees. Maybe you're struggling with your spouse or your kids or your parents. Maybe the, your interaction with others has created this conflict, this negativity, and it's even, even the residual of that is right here. Maybe you were even fighting in your car when you were coming here to church. Would you just, here in this moment, would you just begin to let that go? Just to release all the anxiety, all the pressure, all the conflict of the relationships that are in your life? Would you just begin to let that out of you and release those, that person or those people back to God? And then let his presence just kind of come and fill you just afresh and anew. Father, all over this room, you know exactly what's happening in every man and woman and young person right here and right now. You know the relational struggles. You know the relational joys. You know every situation they're facing. Lord, I'm so grateful for how you come uniquely for every one of us and how you come in the middle of our celebrations. You come in the middle of our messiness. You come in the middle of our conflicts. You come in the middle of everything that's going. And, and Lord, you're, you, want, you want to grow inside of us. You want to be magnified inside of us. And so, Father... Right now, in this moment, we let go of all these things that we're facing. We let go of all the pressure, all the conflicts, all the worries, all the fears, all the uncertainty about the future. We just let go of those things right here and right now. And we ask that you would come and that you would fill us up again afresh and anew. That you would fill our emotions. That you would fill our mind. That you would fill these bodies of ours. That you would fill our spirit. Just afresh and anew with your love. And with your joy. And your peace. And your patience your goodness, your kindness, your faithfulness, your gentleness, and self-control. That we invite you just to come in, Lord, that you would push out all that selfishness in us, all of that impatience, all any sort of hatred or discord. Lord, we let that go and we release it. And we ask that your presence would now just come and fill us just afresh and anew, that you would baptize us again with your power and your presence right here, right now. 
We're going to take communion here together. And we have two stations that are set up up front. And this is a really, it's a, it's a natural thing that you see and touch and you put inside of you. But it is, there's a spiritual reality that happens when we do this. Jesus said, every time you come together, do this in remembrance of him. This is a spiritual act that we do together that can become easily routine if we're not careful. But there's something very spiritual that happens when we're saying, okay, Jesus, I, I breathe you in again. I ingest you. I ask for you to come inside. When we take that, there's something that changes, something that happens inside of us. And, and uh, this is not something that's about this church. It's something that Jesus put together. And so you don't have to be a member of this church to take part in communion. We celebrate open communion, which means if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I welcome you to this table as part of your worship, a part of this ordering of your life. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never really surrendered to him, if all this is kind of maybe intriguing for you, maybe you're seeking, maybe you're asking questions, I'm so glad that you came here. I'm so glad that you are here today because Jesus wants to come and interact with your life. And I'm telling you, he's been knocking at your door. He's been knocking at your door. All, he waits for our response. If we'll just open that door to him. And the Bible says if we'll just confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Nobody else can do that for you. Your parents can't do it for you. Your spouse can't do it. Only you can do that. But when you do that, God comes immediately and steps into your life. And now the adventure of following God starts taking place. Now you start hearing God more clearly. Now you start beginning to understand the purpose, his call on your life. And now life gets really fun. And so... Like I said, we have two communion stations in front here, and the worship team is going to lead us, and we're going to do this kind of in an organized fashion. For any reason you feel uncomfortable, you can just stay there in your seat, but you're going to exit out of your seat, and this section is going to, you're going to exit on your right, and you're going to circle around back into your row. Just take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and take it back to your seat. This section, you're going to exit at your right, circle around, and circle back, and we'll just go from front row all the way back. So why don't you stand on your feet? Let's worship. Let's do this here together. prayer team will be down front here. If there's something that you want somebody to stand with you, to agree with you, they will stick around here. They're the ones that have the lanyards. They're up front here. And I always, always want to encourage you, don't leave without having somebody pray over you. If there's something you're facing, something you feel like there's a wall in front of you, let these people come around you, circle around you. If you would, I want you to grab a hold of the person's hand beside you. We're talking about relationships. Let's connect here before we leave. And I want to just speak a blessing. And as I just speak this blessing, would you also just speak that over the people on your left and right, and the people in front of you, and the people behind you? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and now give you peace. Go in peace, everyone. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.